Welcome to the first ever episode of Icy Cocktails. I'm Zach Teamy. And this is Aaron Montgomery. And we're your hosts. Uh, what we're going to be doing is sort of taking you on a tour of cocktails, a little bit of history, talk about maybe some of the books that uh, Aaron's read that I'm, you know, going to have to go read now, and then talk about where cocktails started, what a good cocktail to start with is, and uh, how to tell if you're getting it done the right way. So let's dive right in. The history of cocktails. So how long have cocktails been around? Oh, that's a long time. Uh, I think the first... Since the 70s? Uh, <laughs> uh, like 1770s, sure. Holy hell. We didn't have liquor back then. Right. Yeah, yeah. We didn't have anything remotely close to liquor. Mm, liquor. So late 1700s, you say, huh? Uh, well, I don't know exactly when the, the the phrase cocktail came about and who used it completely. I mean, the first published time was like 1806 in a newspaper article. Um, and I don't remember the newspaper offhand. Now, uh, I'm just going to have to go ahead and correct you here. I mean, according to Wikipedia, yeah, it was the... Knowledge. Uh, uh, hey, if it's not nerds in their mother's basement, who else are you going to believe? Um, nerds who can afford their own apartment? Ah, that's dodgy. They have jobs and they're like, oh, blah, 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 blah. Um, but yeah, there's a couple of uh, disputed areas there. There's some, There uh, are, yeah. They, I think uh, one of the Wikipedia pieces said that it was like the 1789s it showed up and then the uh, one of the dictionaries suggested that it was like, I think, about, about the time you're talking there where it was uh, first used in America. So now if we're talking about American cocktails, it was the early 1800s. and uh, Well, there's a little bit of an argument that America actually created the cocktail as we know it today because most of the Europeans are smart enough to realize that you can drink liquor straight and it tastes good. Hmm, not following. Yeah, I didn't think you would. Interestingly enough... Uh, How's that rum and coke going for you anyways? Today, not very well. I don't. You know, that's, we should have planned better and brought some uh, alcohol out for the podcast. Yeah, next time. Yes. We'll, There's always we'll the commercial break, right? Uh, wait, we have sponsors? Yeah, of course. Okay, great. Let's take a moment and talk about our sponsors. Uh, today, Hendrix Tonic will actually be... Uh, <laughs> Hendrix is a gin. Tonic is a mixer. So they're Not following. Yeah, I didn't think... Hendrix and Tonic is an option. <laughs> I started to order and forgot to uh, sell. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about it. How did cocktails come up? Where did they start? How did they get there? Um, well, I mean, so the kind of accepted definition from the past is any, uh, any drink that would include spirits, bitters, water, and um, sugar. Okay, so uh, I think some of those are self-explanatory. I mean, basically everybody knows what sugar and water are. Yes, um, what what are bitters exactly? Uh, so in this particular case, we're talking about uh, non-potable bitters or cocktail bitters. Um, so the, the two different types of bitters you have are potable and non-potable. Non-potable is called that largely because it's considered something that you wouldn't want to drink on its own. Um, so the the kind of perfect example of that is Angostura bitters that pretty much everyone knows. I mean, that's been... Even the dodgiest of dive bars have had a bottle of Angostura on the counter for decades, literally. Decades. Sometimes it's the same bottle for decades if the, the bar is bad enough. And by bad enough, you mean an awesome dive bar. And there it is. Three minutes and 54 seconds till our first technical flub up. 
Um, it's pretty impressive. I mean, I was expecting like two minutes, but yeah, strangely, that was fully sober too. Okay, so that's the real problem. <laughs> um, on our later podcast, where we talk about technical gaffes, we'll explain everything that happened there in painstaking detail. Uh, but actually, you were telling us about Angostura bitters. Uh, yeah, so those are uh, non-potable bitters. Like, you wouldn't just take a shot of Angostura bitters. I mean, you, you can. There's nothing wrong with it. But it's not actually considered an, an alcoholic beverage. And it wouldn't probably taste that good. It does not taste amazingly well, no. But that would seem to suggest that there are bitters that do taste good. There are. Um, the Kind of the one of the better examples that most people would know about would be, like, Campari. Um or Fernet Branca, those are both considered bitters. Um, okay. I have some uh, blood orange bitters that are actually pretty yummy. Um, I think I made those. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's actually non-potable bitters still. Yeah, they taste good, though. They do. I, I will admit that I made some pretty good bitters there. Okay, so elements of a cocktail. Uh, water, sugar, potable spirits, or potable uh, bitters. Non-potable bitters. Non-potable bitters, there we go. And spirits. So we need some ghosts up in here. Exactly. Awesome. Um, so not spirits, old term for any sort of alcohol, right? Um, or, so or I could any, use like, beer. Hard alcohol as how we would normally refer to it as. So basically so, anything that's been distilled? Anything that's been distilled, and it has to be usually above 60 proof, roughly, to be considered a spirit, as opposed to a fortified wine or... Okay, so some of the common spirits that everybody's heard of is going to be vodka, whiskey, gin, bourbon. Um, I'm sure there's dozens of others that are just not coming to my mind right now. <laughs> Literally, yeah, yeah. Those are those are basically your spirits, right? Brandy is a spirit, even though it's you know distilled from wine. It's still um, it's still a spirit because of the the, the distillery process. Okay, so let's say the. Uh, Late 1700s, early 1800s, what kind of, do you know what kind of spirits were popular or common then in the, let's just say the United States? Uh, well, in the United States, the kind of the more popular ones were whiskey. Um, at that point in time, you'd have whiskey, brandy, um, gin would have been occasionally popular in the States. I don't know exactly, like, it would depend kind of regionally a lot. Okay. Uh, now, uh, do you know if we were, like, importing our whiskey at the time or making it ourselves? Uh, you know, I honestly don't know that. I know that we would have had uh, the opportunity to import whiskey from, like, Scotland and Ireland, um, which would, of course, have been specifically Scotch and then Irish whiskey. Right. Um, and then, at we think, it would have been late 1700s would have still been imported. It wouldn't have been until the 1800s, probably, that we started making, like, bourbon. It, you know what I just actually realized as we were talking about this? I have a buddy that just opened up a distillery. We should go do a podcast from his distillery, um, you know, down the road a piece. Yeah, we can do samples, right? Of course. Other, like, I'll drive. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only reason why I would want to go, right? Mm, samples. Okay, so, right back to... the pot. What? Uh, pot still, you know? Right, right, right. Um, okay, so back to the earliest incarnation of a, uh, of a cocktail. Now, out of curiosity, um, is that all that makes up cocktails? Water, sugar, spirits, and bitters? Or are there other things? Like, I'm pretty sure that doesn't describe a margarita. Do margaritas count as cocktails? Margaritas do count as cocktails. Uh, so the definitions changed a little bit over the years. I think the most accepted definition for a cocktail now would just be any any drink that has two ingredients, one of which is alcohol. 
So like a um, whiskey on the rocks could count as a cocktail. Yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, technically the, the, the water from the ice cubes would count as two ingredients. So yeah. Nice. Okay. It's a very neat cocktail. Ah. Uh, yeah. Nerd. Except for not, but you know. You need to work on your spots. <laughs> English is hard. Um, okay. So now we have kind of the classic American cocktail, which sounds like it probably would have been made with whiskey, some kind of. Actually, how do they make bitters in like the early days? I'm assuming similar to how they make them now. Yeah. But, uh, like, where do bitters come from? Like, uh, I mean, you know, whiskey obviously can come from uh, um, Scotland and Ireland and places like that, usually where they come from. <laughs> that what you meant by where they come from? Yeah, like, who who came up with the idea of bitters? Was it the French? It seems like something they would have done. Uh, you know, I'm honestly not sure on that one. Uh, I, I know that Angostura bitters is actually... Um, from kind of the, the Caribbean area. I don't remember exactly which island off the top of my head because um, it's coming from the Angostura bark, uh, which is where oh. the, the name of that comes from. But uh, essentially, it's a very, very high-proof alcohol that is then um, infused with various flavors. Um, so when I make them, uh, I always go with a... It, it, well, it depends. Like I use a high proof alcohol of either grain. So I, I try and find like either a hundred proof vodka or drive down to Oregon and get like some Everclear that's actually hundred and what is it? 141 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or 150. Is it 151, isn't it? Well, you're thinking of Bacardi, but ah. uh, I don't, I don't know exactly how, how, what the percentage rate is on for those of you listening at home please check the internet write in correct us or i guess email i i'm not going to give you my physical address because i'm never going to check the mail anyway i will (laughs) um no uh but yeah you take you take a high proof alcohol and then you basically ferment it uh, and infuse it with uh other roots so like the, the blood orange bitters you were talking about that i made earlier that had um that was uh absolute black hundred proof vodka mm-hmm. that then had about two weeks worth of 20-ish different spices plus um, the peel from a whole bunch of blood oranges and it just kind of soaked for two weeks and you shake it every day and then once that got done you have this whole process of straining it out and then cook all of those roots and bitters and, and uh, like bittering agents basically mm-hmm. so um cook all of those in some water for a little bit uh, and then basically let that water steep again um, for another roughly two weeks and then combine the strained out elements of the water with the strained out elements of the alcohol, um, which of course lowers the proof of the alcohol. Right. So, um, and then uh, I have started taking to filtering that through some other processes to get some of the final um Final sediments out because mm-hmm. the, the the process of infusing is you know kind of breaking down those materials that you're right. You've infusing. got a bunch of roots and yeah. rinds and assorted other. Uh, it's basically like making tea. Yeah, it's a really long alcoholic tea. Mm, alcoholic tea. Okay, cool. So like it sounds like uh, what what we're describing here is uh, some of the constituent elements that go into the traditional cocktail. 
And it sounds like the traditional cocktail or where it all started is really just an old fashioned. Uh, essentially, yeah. I, I mean, uh, it, it's funny because old fashioned wasn't called that until until there was actually a fashion that could be old. Yeah, essentially, right? I mean, you had the idea of a cocktail, and that that started off very basic and simple, and then uh, you would order it as like like the idea of the whiskey cocktail was whiskey, bitters, water, and sugar. Okay. Um, which is what we would recognize largely as an old-fashioned today, um, depending on, you know, where you're getting it at. Uh, and so, you know, for the longest time, that was how you would order the drink. And then other elements started to come into it, and, and you'd get different styles on people, you know, people being inventive with what they were doing with alcohol even back in the 1800s. And then eventually someone wanted to order it the old way. And so you'd get a whiskey cocktail. So there was a whole bunch of variation, a whole bunch of uh, change, modification, people adding their own little bits of influence. And then someone was like, whoa, 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 stop the crazy. I just want it old-fashioned. Yeah, basically. Don't add any cucumbers to it. Don't muddle it. Just give it to me straight. Well, with sugar. With with sugar, yeah. So it sounds like you've actually done some reading on all of this, or done never. It, no, no, no. no to, just, totally illiterate. Yeah, I'm I'm Scottish and Irish, so it's just genetically engineered. Huh. So you also like potatoes? I do actually. Nice. Great. Kind of hard not to. So, what are some uh, like for our listeners? What are some books that you'd suggest they dive into and start to kind of learn about the history of the cocktail? Uh, well, not the cocktail so much, but the history of the old fashioned is a really great uh, a, a read to have. It's it's from a book called The Old Fashioned. Um, now, if I remember right, that is one of the books that has a huge subtitle. It does have a huge subtitle. Uh, I actually have it written down here. It's The Old Fashioned: The Story of the World's First Classic Cocktail with Recipe and Lore, Brevity Not Included. Although it's a relatively short book, I mean, it's only like maybe two hundred, two hundred fifty pages. And it's got lots of pictures. You'd like it. I like pictures. They make me want to drink alcohols. So, um, and this book, The Old Fashioned, The Story of the World's uh, First Classic Cocktail with Recipe and Lore, was, uh, it looks like, written by Robert Simonson. We'll include some uh, Amazon links in the show notes for, uh, if you want to go pick this up. It does look like it's available. Moderately priced, actually. The Kindle edition is only like 10 bucks. And hardbound's only about 12, so definitely snap that up on Amazon. I assume public libraries have them if you still have those in your area. I would, I would guess. I, don't, I, haven't, I mean, I haven't actually been into a library in I don't know how long. Yeah, that's where they keep physical media that doesn't have adjustable fonts, so I don't really do that. I actually like physical media. I have the actual book. The, really? The, the book book. I go back and forth. It really depends on what kind of book it is. Nine times out of ten, I'm reading it on a Kindle or my iPad, which actually handles the uh, images a little bit better. I actually end up ordering both quite often because on books that I want to have a physical copy of, which is what ones to put on your bookshelf so you can be like, look, I'm well read. Well, exactly. You have to like, you know, somehow to impress the ladies, right? I know they're just impressed by me, actually. It's a whole lot easier that way. I'm not following you. I'll draw you a map. Okay, so The Old Fashioned. It's a good book. It walks you through... uh, Explain a little bit about it to me. Well, so it walks you through the history of The Old Fashioned. I mean, everything from... uh, Everything from the different places that might have originally came up with how we would consider The Old Fashioned right now. Um, There's there's actually quite a bit of 
argument about which bartender started calling it that versus calling it something else and was it the same drink and who is credited with being the first to do it. Now, I have oftentimes been impressed because you think, hey, the first person to do something, that would have been like easy to track down. But there's tons of drinks out there like the Mai Tai. I think there's like four or five different bars that claim ownership and first creation of it. There's like everything when it when it comes to alcohol is somewhat fuzzy in its origins and there's no real Couldn't clear be because people were drinking when they came up with it no i'm pretty sure that has absolutely nothing to do with it but yeah the mai tai is a good example so is the um mint julep actually has a as a good example of yep. uh drinks that have and the mojito is another great example of a drink that uh has had a hard time figuring out which bar actually gets to claim ownership of that one. Yeah, after we start a bar, we should probably have a press release for all of the uh, drinks that we release. That's a good idea, yeah. I like that, that way there could be no question. Well, the funny thing about that is that you take the idea of there being no question, but some of the history and problem with trying to track that down is that there's a, there's a certain formula for making cocktails that once you figure out what style of cocktail you want to make, and you try and make it, the the likelihood of you being the first person to ever have combined those together is actually relatively small. Um, it, is this kind of like those uh, 4chan rules? Uh, if something could be thought of, it's on the internet? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure, we'll call it that. I, I, don't, I don't know what 4chan is, but... <sighs> One of these days. <laughs> Apparently you don't get to guest host our other podcast. <laughs> Okay, so another book that you suggested might be good was Imbibe by uh, David Wondrick. Now, how are these two books different? One obviously sounds like it's focused on the old-fashioned. Yeah, the one is focused on on just the old-fashioned. The other, uh, Imbibe, is it's a really great, like, it just has a really good stories in it. Um, it's about cocktails in general. Um, the author of that book is in a lot of ways credited with kind of the cocktail revival or being one of the original people to, like, really start the cocktail revival. Um, now, when did the cocktail revival start? I mean, I know growing up, uh, you hear a lot about, you know, rum and cokes, mojitos, things like that. Uh, but it hasn't been, I mean, just for me until probably about four or five years ago that I started recognizing that cocktails actually came in, um, you know, yummy, as opposed to just god-awful alcoholy appalling that you get at, you know, your typical uh, um, franchised eateries. Yeah, well, it's interesting. So part of the reason for that is, to some extent, the rise of popularity of vodka um, in the late 50s, early 60s. Um, and then, you know, through the, you know, and then that just kind of continued through the 70s and, and 80s. But it was part of the popularity was really, really good marketing by Smirnoff and James Bond. Um, and part of the popularity was this idea that you couldn't smell vodka on your breath, so you could go out and drink during lunch or before you went home and people wouldn't know that you were drinking. That's why they invented gin, not vodka. Well, you know, that's, that's true as well. well there was an, there's an author, I don't remember which one, one of the like old-time great authors that used to only drink gin because he thought that you couldn't smell it on your breath. But um, at any rate, uh, you know, so that's where a lot of the like super fruity, crappy drinks came about in the 70s and 80s of, you know, the... That's when we ended up with like uh, uh, sand in your shorts and uh, all of those lovely super syrupy concoctions that you can get at Red Robin. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, So, I mean, as far as like when the cocktail revival would have started to happen, it would have been probably... I would guess 
like doing the little bit of research that I've done because I wasn't really paying attention to it until you know about mm, five years ago myself. Um, but you know, mid to late '90s is when it kind of started to kick off and and very so select <laughs> post grunge really. Oh, it's like you know, wrong. Yeah. So we have Pearl Jam to thank for cocktails. Uh, I don't know that I would want to go that far. <laughs> <laughs> um, but humorously, Seattle was one of the scenes that really kind of started with the cocktail revival. Um, one of the restaurants that was really, really famous for it was Zigzag down at the Pike Street Market. Um, yep. And Murray Stinson, who is a kind of world-famous uh, bartender, um, is from the Seattle area. I could have sworn I was watching... Um a drinking show recently, probably Chug. Um, it's by Zane Lamprey. Um, you know, he's done Three Sheets and um, that other show that he did. I, I only know of Three Sheets. I haven't seen his other work. Oh, um, it's awesome. It's fun. But I'm pretty sure they talked. Uh, you said Murray Stinson, right? Yep. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they talked to him. And he just seemed like a dude. I was like, wait, he's in my town. I kind of want to go like... He is he is absolutely famous, uh, like worldwide. Um, he he got sick a couple of years back and had like some insane medical bills, and like bartenders around the globe got together to donate money so that he wouldn't be you know like in financial ruin. Huh. Um, That's nice uh, that people pull together for that kind of thing. Yeah, he's he's actually really famous in the Seattle area. He's really hard to track down. Um, he did some stuff at Zigzag for the longest time. He um, helped with the opening of Cannon in Capitol Hill, which is considered one of the best cocktail and whiskey bars in the United States. Um, we should definitely do a show from there. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. It's a quick walk from my house. So Nice. It's um, a uh, slightly longer walk from my house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's not even a walk from your house. It's, I think it's technically a hike. Yeah. Um, about 30 miles. Uh, yeah, about that probably. Yeah, that, that's totally doable in like two, three days. Well, maybe. I've seen what shape you're in. Uh, wait, did you just run a half marathon in under two hours? Two whole hours. Wow, good job. Yeah, thanks. Under two. <laughs> so 159.59? No, you son of a bitch. It was 154.38. <laughs> Not much under two, but still. Um, okay, cool. So... There's a couple of bars you mentioned, Cannon, Zigzag. Um, we should actually think of a kind of recurring uh, uh, segment to actually just talk about good bars, places yeah. where you can go and what kind of a drink you can get there. Because I'm assuming bars have different drinks that they specialize in, right? Yeah, definitely. Like uh, Lot 6 in Bellevue. Yeah. I'm probably not going to get a really great, uh, um, I don't know, what's that drink with the salt on the rim that I can't think of right now? Margarita. Uh, margarita. Yeah, yeah I mean, the margaritas are probably fine. Never had one there, but that's not really what they focus on. No, yeah, there's definitely bars that have different styles and, and different, um, you know, different specialties. The, you know, margarita, you can get all sorts of variations on it, right? That goes back to the whole idea of, of having variations of cocktails, right? So, uh, so it goes back to the idea of having variation of cocktails and that you have, um, you know, the the idea of the spirits, bitters, water, and sugar is one variation of it. But uh, if you go with the idea of some sort of base liquor, some sort of mixer, and some sort of sweetener, all of a sudden you get into a range where you can make just literally millions of different cocktails. That That is the base for every single cocktail now. Yeah, and you've basically generalized everything. I mean, if you want to talk about margaritas, that's uh, 
a good top shelf tequila, uh, maybe some agave ne- nectar, and uh, what was the third thing you said? Well, so I said a sweetener and a mixer. Um, oh, a mixer uh, with tequila you can use, even uh, a liqueur of some variety. Yeah, so like, uh, I, I mean, there's a, a joking bit in the, the show Archer where he I is, love that show. I know, isn't <laughs> it great? But he's freaking out because he's like, he, he takes the sip of this margarita and he like spits it into the, the waiter's face and says something about how, you know, sour mix and a margarita and then makes some reference to Auschwitz. And then... Um, uh, he goes on to the comment of the fact that there's only five ingredients in a margarita, and it's it's you know tequila, Cointreau, yeah. lime juice, uh, ice, and kosher salt, mm-hmm. and and that will make an amazing margarita. It actually sounds pretty good. I'm down with that. We should try those later. Yeah, yeah, no problem. But see, there's your there's your mixer, right? So right. the lime the juice lime is juice. obviously the mixer, and then your your sweetener in this case is Cointreau. Um, yeah. And, you know, some liqueurs are going to be sweeter, more syrupy than others and can work as a sweetener all on their own. Some you might have to add some sort of sweetener. Like you mentioned, agave nectar is a great example of using a using a, a sweetener that matches the flavor profile you're going for, right? So Right. That's why you see it in a lot of uh, um, tequila-based drinks. Yeah. Um, but you can see the same thing happens with... Uh, a lot of all those drinks that come with peat in them. With peat in yeah. them? Yeah. I don't know that... I've, Match I've the flavor profile of the scotch. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think I've seen that too oh. much. Uh, we, we might be going to different bars. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Okay, so let's... Uh, quick re- quick reset here. So Imbibe, it's a great book. Pick it up. I'm also another book re- with a really, really crazy long subtitle. Really? Yeah. yeah. I don't remember having a long one. I would have written it down. Oh, it was, it was, it's actually too long for you to have written it down. Like, I oh. don't think it would have fit on your little notepad there. Hmm. What is it about uh, bartender? or I guess, I don't know if they're bartenders. What is it about uh, books with uh, <laughs> about cocktails that have really long titles? I am not sure. There's a couple that don't. Um, I mean, I really I'm like sorry, we can't talk about those today. It's strictly titles that are too long. That was okay. the name of the segment, oh, titles okay. that are too long. Uh, there's one that's called The Drunken Botanist, and it, its subtitle is about some crazy amount of how every type of plant on the planet can get you drunk. I actually had that book on my to-buy list. Well, I was going through pictures on my iPhone this week, and I'm like, hey, what is that? I took a picture of a book. I should probably go buy that. Um, that was the book, strangely. Okay, Let's talk actually quickly about what it takes to make a great old-fashioned, or what does a great old-fashioned taste like? I mean, it's going to be a little difficult because this is not a taste um, show where, like, we can't just pour alcohol in through your ears and make you flavor taste it. You just can't ask the replicator to create it for you? Wow, nerd. (laughs) Hey, you brought it up. The idea of being a nerd anyways. Um, Uh, (laughs) I live it, buddy. So I, the uh, you caught the reference, so yes. you, can you fuck off? <laughs> <laughs> and that gets us the explicit tag for the day, people. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> Anytime. I can't imagine those people that are sitting there happily with their children listening to a podcast on cocktails, and now you drop the F-bomb. Ah. Well, we can always edit that out. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> I'm not editing that out. <laughs> okay, so the old-fashioned. What should it taste like? How do I know I'm drinking a good one? Um, where are some places I can go? Actually, let's just start there. We'll get to some more fun stuff after. All right. So the old-fashioned I always use is kind of my litmus test for a bar if they're serious about their cocktail program. Um, it, it should 
They're serious about their football program, their men's volleyball program, but fuck their cocktail program. They could care less. You know, there's a lot of bars that are that way. It's the <laughs> ones that have, like, you know, four beers on tap, three of which are Bud Light and, like, 77 TV screens. I just died a little. Hey, they exist. Um, but, so, yeah, uh, a, a good old-fashioned is going to, in my opinion, have a, a good base whiskey. Um Oftentimes, give me an example. What are some good whiskeys? This might be for folks out there that are just going, hey, I want to try new whiskey. What's something that I haven't heard of that's not like, you know, Jack? (laughs) Well, um, so it depends, I guess, on the the flavor profile that you want to go for. Uh, A really good base whiskey that's not terribly expensive is actually Four Roses Yellow Label. Mm -hmm. Um, That is some yumminess. I've had it before. it's, It's very smooth. It's very light. If you are not a massive whiskey fan or you don't like... You know the some of the more prominent flavors that can get pulled out in whiskey, which is the, you know, the wood or other flavors along those lines. Then, um, then that's a good one to, to start with. It's it's very mild. Um, another really good whiskey for uh, old fashions, in my opinion, anyways, is uh, the Ula uh, Cask Strength whiskey. It's it's a newer whiskey from. How, how do you uh, spell that or what? what uh, let's say it one more time. It's Ula. Ula. O- yeah, O O L A. Um, it's actually a uh, Seattle-based uh, distillery. It's, it's humorously about three blocks from Cannon. <laughs> um, it might be longer than that, but not by much. Um, but it's a really good, good flavored whiskey. Um, there's uh, also rye old fashions. Uh, so uh, Rittenhouse rye is a great rye. Um, it's a it's an overproof rye as well, so it's going to be a little bit stronger. Uh, one of the nice things about ryes uh, is that they end up being a little bit on the spicy side because okay. it, it's a whiskey that rather than using corn as its prominent base, it has a lot more of the rye base right. to it, which is you know obviously why it's called that. Um, another good rye that I like is um, Rye One. Um, it's more expensive by far, um, but it has a little bit smoother. Um, a little bit smoother base to it. Um, okay. So you're sitting at a bar. Uh, you've just ordered an old-fashioned, and it comes with, say, one of these whiskeys. What else are they doing that's actually making it a, a top-notch old-fashioned that's going to make you come back and want more? Uh, well, it, it depends a little bit on the style of the bar. So I really enjoy when they do the, the sugar cube uh, drenched in bitters. So that's what you basically end up doing is you, you take a a sugar cube into your mixing glass and then you, you know, drench it with bitters, which is usually not more than about three or four drops of bitters, quite honestly. Okay. Um, and then you kind of crush the sugar cube up and stir it. Um, and, you know, by this point in time, you're going to have to add a little bit of water and then the rest of your whiskey to stir it and you'll be stirring it at room temperature. Okay. Uh, and that just kind of helps the sugar to dissolve and that's how you get to the idea of having the sugar added and incorporated correctly. Um, because if you don't incorporate the sugar, will it still warm? You end up with a uh, gritty old-fashioned. Yeah. yeah, you don't want that gritty flavor. I mean, that's kind of the old-fashioned that you will get at bad bars is when they haven't done that correctly or older bars before the old-fashioned kind of got a, a, a reinvented kick from uh, Mad Men and all of a sudden it became popular again. Oh, I didn't even realize that had anything to do with Mad Men. Yeah, so... Having not watched Mad Men, I'm... Uh, 
culturally behind. I have not watched it either, but apparently the lead character like orders a whole bunch of old fashions and it became in vogue to do that. So Nice. Pop culture always affects drinking. I love pop culture, except for the fact that I apparently never watched Mad Men. Okay, so we've now added the whiskey, the sugar, the bitters, a little bit of water. Um, does ice factor in here at all? Yeah, so, I mean, you're going to want to add ice um, and then stir it. Uh, and part of the process for stirring it um, is just going to be to chill the drink, obviously. Um, okay, so for chilling a, a old-fashioned, though, are they going to be using a uh, um, shaker or are they just dropping uh, in, no, like, dozens of little boxes of ice? It. Stirring? Yeah, okay. yeah, no, no, no shaking of an old-fashioned ever. Um, I'll hurt the bartender if they do that. Uh, what kind of ice? Are we talking big old cubes, little tiny cubes, crushed? Oh, I think my heart crushed a little bit when you said that. <laughs> uh, no, so like, I mean, generally speaking, the idea of stirring a drink is that you're not trying to get a massive amount of dissolution from the ice. You just want a little bit to add to the water to kind of mellow out the drink. But you're really trying to, to cool it down. And so the best to do that is going to be larger ice cubes, but like filling the glass up, right? So... Okay, I mean, so you get a whole glass full of fairly, like, maybe three or four big cubes. Uh, you'd, you'd probably, like, it depends on the size of the glass. Like, on, on a standard pint glass, I end up usually putting, like, I don't know, it's it's large cubes, but, like, I don't use, like, the weird... You get a uh, old-fashioned in a pint glass? As a mixing glass, you would use the pint glass, uh. potentially. Like, there's other mixing containers that you can have. Um, you can even mix it in the in the glass that you're going to serve it in. Um, the only downside of doing it that way is that oftentimes people will strain. Um, like, so the way I prefer doing it is using a mixing glass to do all of this work. And then you strain the old-fashioned onto fresh ice. Okay. So that's another way of controlling the amount of water that gets mixed in is your cooling it down with a fairly large volume of ice, but then pre presenting it with a smaller amount of ice so that you don't have a uh, kind of just total meltdown in your glass. Yeah, um, and it depends a little bit on the style of drink that you're going to go for, too. I mean, um, Quinn's, which is a bar uh, in, in Quinn's yep, Pub. Been there. In, right? uh, they make a really, really great old-fashioned, but the way they choose to do theirs is with... Uh, a fair amount of smaller ice cubes, just the normal ice cubes that they have, and they don't strain it. They just pour that entire concoction into the glass. Um, so it makes for a much more um, mellowed drink. Okay. Um, and then, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, you've got, like, the tin table, um, and they pour the entire thing over a single large ice cube, which has also been kind of an in-vogue thing to do in the last few years of... of of bars really considering and caring about their how they do their ice. So Okay. So let's reflect. You said uh, when you're testing out a bar and you're saying if this is a place you like to drink and if it is a place that actually cares about their um, cocktail program, then you look for a, a whiskey or a, a old-fashioned that's made with a pretty decent whiskey that's had the um, bitters and sugar mixed together and then added to the whiskey um, while it's still room temperature. Make sure that the sugar has a good chance to dissolve so you don't get any gritty feelings in your mouth. And then um, mixed up with some ice, possibly in a glass, possibly uh, in you know, something else, stirred around a bit, and then strained over, um, depending on the flair you're going for, um, a fresh glass of ice. Now, is that a, uh, a little 
small glass, a tall glass? Like, what does this look like? Uh, there's actually a style of glass called a uh, rocks glass or an old-fashioned glass. Um, it is a short... Uh, short, A short highball, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll call it a short highball, sure. Um, uh, it's usually a bit wider than a highball. Um, they also come in, like, double sizes. Um, generally, a single size is considered somewhere between... I think it's like seven and nine ounces, and the double is anywhere from like 11 to 14. Okay, so let's say you get your drink. It looks right. It's a all proper mix of ice in a glass with uh, all the yummy bits. What are some of the flavors that are going to jump out at you that make you go, holy hell, this is the best old-fashioned I've ever had. This is what I need. And did we miss any elements? Because I think there might be one that's missing still. Uh, there is typically a garnish on an old-fashioned, which is... Uh, a peeled, uh, like a large piece of orange zest. Um, interestingly enough, the like really old fashioned, uh, some of the early recipes from like the late 1800s actually used lemon um, as, as opposed to orange, but um, orange gets used far more often anymore. That's probably because oranges are a little bit bigger, easier to come by. Um, yeah, that's possibly true. Uh, Let, less, let's less talk better. about garnish for a second. Uh, what do you do with a garnish? Like, I know I've been places I've had a drink that maybe had a, um, um, some kind of a cherry on a stick or orange around the edge. Like, do you drop that right in the drink? Do you stir it around? Like, what, what the shit? Um, so it depends a little bit, right? Uh, like done really, really well. What ends up happening is it's, it's a wide, thick piece of orange zest, and then if you kind of bend it over, like, kind of, yeah, bend it over the top of the drink and it expresses all of the oils that are inside that zest, which for the most part aren't going to change the flavor a whole lot other than the fact that you're now expressing a whole bunch of orange aromatics over the top of the, the drink, which gives you an orange flavor. So it gets a nice citrusy uh, uh, kick at it. Yeah. Yeah, a okay. little bit of a citrus note. And then you just dump the um, zest in there? Do you set it next to the cup? Like, uh, Oftentimes, what will end up happening next is it will get uh, either rubbed around the rim of the glass, twisted a little bit, and placed inside it, um, or just twisted and placed inside it. Um, some places will actually use the the orange zest to, to build up um, kind of a, an orange cherry... Um, I don't know, concoction on a stick, right? It's like a cocktail stick. Right. Um, which which brings to the point of like what type of cherry to use if you're doing that because you don't ever want to use the... Maraschino. Yeah, the the like gross pink maraschino from a can. It's just absolutely... Uh, which we're, Strangely enough, I don't know if you can technically call ch- maraschino cherries cherries anymore. I don't think they're fruit they, anymore. Yeah, they seem to have had everything leached out of them and they're just weird husks of uh, injectable flavor. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, but there are some good cherries and some good good things you can use out there for that. Um, As I'm running through things in my head that would actually be good there, I just remembered something that I had one time that was just phenomenal. Have you ever had um, balsamic pickled grapes? <laughs> I can't say that I have, no. Oh, my God. If you ever have a chance, you should get some. There was one of those gourmet food trucks at work for a while, and you just got a little clump of grapes that had been... Uh, um, uh, pickled lightly in balsamic uh, juices, and oh my god, it was great. I will have to try that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so okay, now we've got um, we've got our old fashioned. It's been garnished. 
delivered to the table. Now, uh, what kind of flavors are going to jump out at you and make you go, holy God, this was great? Well, so you sh- like in the above example of having the orange zest on there, you should definitely have a little bit of a hint of, of orange citrus, uh, mostly as like a note on the, on the aroma. Um, but it will affect your taste. I mean, aroma is, you know, so yep. much part of your taste. Uh, and then, you know, depending on the bourbon or rye used, if it's bourbon, it's going to be, uh, it should have some notes of vanilla to it. You should still be able to taste the underlying bourbon, um, if you're really good with your bourbons, you should be able to figure out, you, like there shouldn't be enough other flavors that you shouldn't not be able to figure out which bourbon was used. Right. So this isn't one of those drinks that you taste and you're like, oh my God, there is absolutely no alcohol in this. I would like 14 of these now, please. No. Although I do like 14 in a row, but um, uh, no. But, they're, but they're, you're gonna, it's going to maintain the underlying flavor of the original spirit that was used. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you want to use the, the fancy terms, it'd be a spirit-forward drink, right? And that you're going to know like that it has alcohol in it and what alcohol that is. Okay, cool. So this is a drink that you definitely want to try if you're into whiskey or rye. Yes. And are looking for just a little bit of a kick to go with it. Yeah. So, uh, it, I guess a softener, really. Something to make it just a bit more... Uh, uh, very easily drunk. Correct. Yeah. Or, you know, drank. Drunkable? Drunkable. Drinkable? Yes, everything eventually becomes drunkable. We really are sober, I promise. <laughs> okay, so let's talk. You mentioned some bars as you were talking about the old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. Now, I assume you mentioned bars that actually make good old-fashions, where people, yes. if they're listening and they're in the Seattle area, could actually head out and get some of these. So you mentioned Canon. Yeah. Uh, where, where can people find Canon? They have a website. They have uh, uh, yeah. They have a website. It's like canonseattle.com. It is Capitol Hill uh, on like 12th, and I do not remember the cross street, but it's actually really close to the uh, Seattle um, University. Okay, and you also mentioned Quinn's. Yes, which is on uh, Pike and about um, I think 11th. Okay, and then I, I think I've both been, well, I don't remember if I've been to Canon, but uh, we should definitely head out there soon. <laughs> I don't think you've been to Canon because I don't think you come to Seattle. And like the last time that you did was with me and you didn't go to Canon, so. That's not true. I went to uh, uh, the Triple Door not too long ago with the wife. Oh, all right. Well, I'll let uh, that one slide. Yeah. Um, and then you said Tin Table. Yes. Uh, tin Table is on Pine and like 11th. So it's like a block away from Quinn's. Okay, so basically, if you're in Seattle on Capitol Hill, there are three bars where you can go to and get great old fashions. Yes. Awesome. Um, let's see. There's obviously other bars in the Seattle area that make a really good old fashioned too. It's just that I happen to live in Capitol Hill. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of other bars that I absolutely love um, in Seattle, um, and it's been a few years since I've been there, but I'm assuming Venick is still down in South Lake Union. I don't ever go to South Lake Union. There's a uh, bunch of people from Amazon there. We should go sometime. They have awesome cocktails. A lot of their cocktails are made in the, uh, um, well, they have absinthe bases. Oh, nice. So okay. they end up being um, peppery, kind of um, more uh, spicy than uh, your typical uh, cocktail. Yeah. We should actually do a whole show on that. Um, on spicy, savory cocktails? Yes, spicy, savory cocktails are the shit. I had a ghost chili margarita this weekend. So, See, now that sounds awesome. Um, okay, so I think that actually about does it for us today. So if you're in Capitol Hill, stop by uh, Cannon, Quinn's, or Tin Table. 
grab yourself an old-fashioned. That's what they should be tasting like. Or compare all three in one day. Exactly. Just get a cab and then walk from all, between all three yeah, of them. Yeah, they're all very walkable. I mean, yeah. So thank you very much for uh, listening to our first episode. We will have another episode coming back where maybe we'll talk about some spicy and savory cocktails. 